0: to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the urban farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona. I'm here with Janice Norton. Hello, Janice. Hey,
1: Greg, this is fun. This is exciting, I can't
0: wait. Yeah, big time. And we are here with an amazing young lady who I've known, how long have we known each other, Christian? Maybe a decade or more?
2: More, probably closer to 14.
0: All right, great. Kristen is a native Texan, went to college in Kansas and ended up in Arizona in 2004. Okay, that's about 16, 17 years ago. She has been gardening, raising chickens, planting fruit trees, constructing buildings ever since. Kristen is an architect and an interior designer and completed her permaculture design course in 2015. She lives on a half acre property with her husband, two-year-old son, three dogs, 16 muscovy ducks and over 120 fruit trees and 43 roses. Welcome, welcome, Kristen. Thank you for being here.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you about designing edible landscapes. It's yeah. been a passion of mine for a long, long time, and I'm yeah. really lucky that I am able to do it now as a business.
0: So tell me about that. Let's, before we even go any farther, I want people to get a sense of who you are and what you do in the edible landscape arena, because you're actually my go-to person when somebody says, Hey, I need a design. I send them to you because, <laughs> because I've seen your stuff. Well, you are amazing you. at what you do. So tell us, tell everybody about. Blushing. What Tell everybody <laughs> what it, what it is you do.
2: Well, that is a real honor. Thank you so much. Coming from you, Greg, that's huge. So well, thank you. I'm blushing a little bit. So let's see. I, Personally, I've been growing food since I was in diapers. My great grandpa kept a one acre veggie garden in his nice. 90s. And oh, wow. I, my family has pictures of me out there chasing him around, helping him dig up potatoes nice. <laughs> in diapers. And so, in a way, growing food's kind of just always been in my blood when I got to college, I decided not to go for landscape architecture. I decided to go for building architecture because the landscape architecture was so much more driven to ornamentals Mm -hmm. and, or big ag, which I didn't have any interest in any monoculture things. And so I passed on that and did buildings and for about 13 years did commercial architecture and interiors. And I love it, but I found that and all of my free time, I was out in the yard, garden. Nice. Yeah. And that was what gave me you know, that instant gratification and, and care because it takes years to see a building come out of the ground, but it only takes a couple of weeks to see a seed come out of the ground.
0: Right. Excellent. And so
2: it wasn't too long that people were asking me to take my design skills and help them lay out their yards. And I was doing that on weekends for a while. And then the demand got so great. I said, I need to pay attention to this.
0: <laughs> right.
2: And yeah, and so, you know, just kind of looking at what was out there in the market, I really saw a need for this, you know, there's plenty of people that want to grow food, but either don't get started because they don't know where to start, right? or they just guess, and then they waste time and money and go through a lot of unnecessary heartache, and they could have just called me instead. <laughs> and so I started my LLC in 2015, the same year that I took the permaculture design class and got that certificate. And I've been doing that ever since. Full-time.
0: You do full-time edible landscape design.
2: That's right? correct. I've awesome. got about 40 something acres of projects right now.
1: Whoa.
2: <laughs> so I'm <Wow>. tired. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Congratulations. That is that is awesome. Thank
2: you. Well, a lot of it is thanks to your referrals, Greg. So I well, appreciate you, you sending you people my way. So let's
0: talk about the topic tonight and what is a food forest? Give me a two minute. What is a food forest?
2: Okay. So a food forest is basically a larger scale of one guild. So it's several plant guilds, groups of plants that work together to create a full-on landscape. So it is truly all the different parts and pieces working together. You have plants that attract good bugs. You have plants that repel bad bugs. You have plants that are nitrogen fixers that feed other plants. And you have plants that provide shade for more sensitive plants. And so it's really its own ecosystem.
0: Kind of like the way nature works, right?
2: Exactly.
0: Imagine that
2: mimic that, but taking the chance to pick and choose the plants that we love most. And, and that way it's our own individual customized deliciousness.
0: (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. I love that. And uh, for those of you that are on the podcast, you missed her face. It was great the way she said that. Oh my gosh. And we already have people asking for your contact information for a consult. We'll get there for sure. All right. Her website is cultivate, cultivatedllc.com. There you go. There you go. So I've got a yard. Mm-hmm. It's not my yard. Let's say somebody has a yard sure. and they want to put a food forest in it. It's like, what's our first step?
2: I know it can be so overwhelming to think right? about it at once. Yeah. Because it really is like a million piece puzzle. So the first thing I like to do with my clients when I get started is to just get to know them, really, because the design will be a complete failure if I mm-hmm. ignore their needs and mm-hmm. their capabilities. And so when I, I actually have a, a class where I teach about just setting the scope, figuring out how many plants you're going to have time to take care of. Knowing that if you plant them in the right combinations, they will somewhat take care of each other and following those permaculture principles that it will minimize human interaction. But still, you need to be aware of like what you're getting into.
0: Right. So uh, so there's the in permaculture, I like my definition of permaculture is the art and science of working with nature and observation is one of the first pieces. So what I heard you just say yes. is you need to stand back and observe your space to see what it is you want to create.
2: Exactly. So that you know
0: what you're getting into. All right, cool. So getting an idea of that and we'll get back to your class in a little while for sure. And then there's different layers of a food forest.
2: Absolutely. And so one of the biggest rules is to plant big to small. So I that know. first layer of the food forest being canopy those are going to be the larger trees. So you're going to be disturbing the soil the most when you dig the hole for the big tree, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the time that also means that those are going to be slower growing. That's not always the case, but sometimes that means you got to get that sucker in the ground fast so that you can start building that canopy and letting that tree grow big and strong and, and setting that foundation for the rest of your food forest.
0: Great. So there's, the, I'm actually going to throw out something here as a possibility. Okay. So. The big canopy, I can get why it's the first, get started the first. Mm -hmm. And the seventh layer, isn't the seventh layer the soil?
2: The, no, five is the soil.
0: Fifth layer. Okay. Great. So I'm going to suggest that maybe at the same time we're planting the canopy layer, we also want to be working on the soil. Absolutely. Would that make sense? It all starts with the
2: soil. Yeah. You're going to be amending that hole as you get started. You're going to be discovering how easy or difficult it is to dig on your site.
0: Right. (laughs) And how does one, uh, so planting a big tree, that's easy. You find a big tree and you get it planted. How does one go about discovering in your process what to do about the soil layer?
2: Well, for me, being in the Phoenix area, our soil lacks a lot of organic matter. Okay. And so just getting to know what you're working with. And, and part of that is in the initial site research. Mm-hmm. So before I even begin talking about plants with a lot of my clients, we do our site research first, you know, you got to understand how fertile or not fertile your soil is mm-hmm. to begin with. And so whether that's finding a local lab to send it out to get tested, or just doing something as simple as the putting a little soil and water in a jar and shaking it up. And then letting it settle and see what you're working with that way, you know, you gotta you gotta start with the basics.
0: (laughs) Great. Well, and and you just kind of reminded me that there's something else also that we wanna be paying attention to on a site. And that's the utilities and the wind and all of that external stuff that comes in. So you kind of need to map that out, I would think too, right?
2: Yes. Yes. And and I mean I could deeper dive on that. I don't want to get too distracted. (laughs) When I start a new project with a client, I have a survey that I send them Mm -hmm. and it's got about 20 questions. And a lot of those questions are just to get their brain going about looking at their space a different way, because really I can walk into somebody's space and see all these things in five minutes that they might not have paid attention to. Right.
0: Yeah. I noticed (laughs) after, after studying and playing with permaculture for 30 years, I can go in on a property and see things instantly. Right. And see
2: things in 3D, too, because you know what the mature size of the plants look like.
0: Exactly. Exactly. All right. Cool. So out of seven layers, so there's seven layers of a food forest. We've gotten to two of them. What what are the other three just to give people an (laughs) idea of that?
2: So the the first one's your big canopy trees. Right. And then the Mm -hmm. second one is shorter trees, you know, larger shrubs, dwarf trees, that kind of thing. Then you have your shrub layer, uh, then your herbaceous layer, the soil surface, then the root zone. And then the last one is actually vines and, uh, and your vertical layer. Ah.
0: You said herbaceous layers. Mm-hmm. Say more about that.
2: So that is going to be your herbs, your flowers, your veggies, your mm-hmm. annual crops. Got it. I mean, I do perennials as much as possible too, just because I'm one gal working on half an acre. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of plants. So, so
0: so tell people <laughs> a, uh, that's a word some people may not know, perennial. What does that mean?
2: Oh sure. So that means that the plant will live on over several years and seasons and you won't mm-hmm. have to replant it again whereas something like a carrot, you know, you plant it, you harvest it, you're done, you know. So something that you can cut on, you know, like I have a lot of lavender in my yard and mm-hmm. so I use a lot of the lavender and I can cut on it and cut on it, but otherwise it's a landscape plant. So so many people come to my yard, walk the whole thing and don't realize that 90% of what they're seeing is edible or medicinal or of herbal use and so it's it's kind of nice because it's pretty but it's also functional.
0: Right. Well, and I've been I've screamed about this for years. Why would anybody plant anything you can't use?
2: Exactly. If I'm watering something and I'm taking care of it, it's going to take care of me back. You
0: know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when you're looking at a place so let's say you're not Kristen and mm-hmm. you just have a property to look at what are some steps that you would take that you would instruct somebody to take to get started?
2: Absolutely. So back to the initial observing, mm-hmm. one of the most important things to do is spend some time out there and pay attention to sun angles,
1: mm-hmm. pay attention
2: to where your where your built environment is causing shadows and learning about exposures and, and what different plants can handle different exposures. I am going to put an exposures like little cheat sheet on my website. It's not there now, but it will be very soon. Mm-hmm. I have this lovely printed copy of it.
0: Oh, nice. Oh, good. Well, and, and so this is this is where the sun is at during a particular time of year.
2: During the time of year and the time of day, really, because when you're when you're getting to the individual plant level, some mm-hmm. plants are going to want a little more protection. Some are going to want afternoon shade. Some are going to need certain number of hours of sunlight in a day. And if you're planting on the north side of your house, it may not get that much sunlight. And All so right. that goes back to that million piece puzzle. is just understanding where your plantable areas are and what the parameters of those plantable areas are. Mm-hmm. And then also something to pay attention to also, as you're planting those big canopy trees is if you're going to put solar on your your roof, Ah. <laughs> don't plant somewhere where you're going to shade it out. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: So that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I have in my in that survey that I send out to my clients is: Do mm-hmm. you have so solar? You know, pay attention to the sun. Pay attention to the power, and then also pay attention to your water. Where's your water coming from? Yeah. You know, are you going to be collecting rainwater? Are you going to be using grey water? Are you just using your hose bib? And if so, where's that hose bib at? You know, oh. are you going to be building an irrigation system or are you going to be hauling around a heavy hose all the time? You know, it's just kind of those operational things to just get your head around. How is this going to work and how can I make it easier on myself versus harder on yourself?
0: Yeah. One of I do garden consults with people just via the phone just for 45 minutes. So they're, they're short just to get people started. And very often the first thing I tell them to do is put a spigot in every corner of your yard. at least (laughs) in every corner of your yard.
2: Yes. Maybe more.
0: Yeah. I've been here 32 years and there's still a couple of places in my yard that don't have spigots that I wish there was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will often tell people to put a trench all the way around their yard Mm -hmm. and put a spigot every 20 feet. It's something that, that you, I promise you, if you do it, you will thank me later.
2: Yes. (laughs) Right. You will never regret having access to water.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. And yes. from those, from those spigots, you can put in sprinkler systems, you can put in sprinkler zones, you know, it's, it's just, it's there for you. So you'll definitely be happy that you did that. What else is on your list? You said you have a list of 20 questions. What, mm-hmm. what other kind of questions do you have on that list?
2: So there's also questions about paying attention to views, views you want to keep views. You want to block. Mm-hmm all the questions about the watering questions about existing plants and existing microclimates in your yard as you're observing if there's a certain spot of your yard that's always damp or always blasting hot that's kind of things you want to pay attention to before mm-hmm. you're deciding what plants to put there so talking uh, about
0: talking it, about existing yes let's just say i have a yard and i have this tree that i don't like right in the middle of my backyard do i go in and take it out immediately
2: not always <laughs> Not to quote your buddy, Don, but it depends. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> there you go. Right? Uh, it depends. So that existing tree can act as a nurse tree as you're planting other things to get other things established, or that tree can serve an, an entirely different purpose and you can get it removed and chopped up and let that wood chip mulch stay on your property to break down, to build your soil and be used as wood chip mulch so i mean there's options there's options but it's all about knowing what your goals are for the property so really i have people make a big wish list and when i tell people to make their wish list i tell i ask them what do you buy at farmers markets oh what do you buy from the grocery store when you're buying your produce you know what what are you on the hunt for what's your favorite things because when you're growing something as you know greg when it gets established, you are going to have a lot of it, right? (laughs) So you better love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Don't ever plant anything. You don't love. No,
2: no. I I made that mistake a couple of times. I mean, I took a lot of chances and I planted a lot of things without even tasting them. You know, I read a lot Mm -hmm. on Dave Wilson's website about, you know, what won the taste test before I was planting things. But then there were things like kumquats. I planted a kumquat tree, dug it out two years later, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like, I rehomed it so it wasn't like it died or anything, but I was like, I probably should have tried that before I planted one. And so if you have an opportunity to try something before you plant it, I always say, give it a shot. And I do sometimes do like little front yard markets at my house where I put out interesting like rare fruit for people to taste if they haven't made up their minds on if they want one in their own yard. It's not always possible and I certainly wouldn't want to discourage anybody from taking a chance on something they haven't eaten because I can tell you I've tried a lot of fruit from the first time on my tree and decided it was the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. So I certainly don't want to discourage anybody but there's there's so many things you can even mail order fruit now if you want to try it first. Just know that whatever you're growing in your own yard is going to taste so much better Better, than something that's gone through the post. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, back to your list.
2: So take that wish list, which will probably be a lot bigger than what space you have available. (laughs) Right. And begin to go back to those layers of the food forest and categorize, right, Mm -hmm. what things on your wish list fit into that lower tree layer or the veggie layer or the root layer. And for things like that soil surface, I'll a, a, a lot of times on a lot of years on my own property, that was just wood chip mulch. I didn't have other plants right. serving that purpose. And so I have a little a little sample guild downloadable thing too. And on that sample guild I say on there for that layer, sometimes that just means wood chips. So it doesn't always have to be a plant, but this is going to be something that you install over a longer period of time. I mean, it's about the journey. It's not supposed to be a turnkey thing where right. you just plant it and forget about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's an experience to build a food forest. And so, you know, you might want to pace yourself, right? When we talk about that in permaculture, right? Small intensive systems. Yep. You plant a little bit at a time and over time it grows into something amazing. I'm still working on my half acre after I'll be in the house nine years. In April and so that's what two days away so yeah nine years and I'm still still filling in those other little components of the guilds. but now I've of got course. fava of course. beans growing in my tree wells I've got garlic growing in my tree wells and all those things are working together to really fill out that food forest feel but for the first little bits it was just you know those those first couple layers you know
0: mm-hmm. wow so, all right. So you've mentioned the word guilds a couple of times.
2: I have.
0: You're going to have to tell people what that means in <laughs> okay. permaculture. So here's my question for you, actually. Did you get that from permaculture or did you know that from your other trainings?
2: Well, I, I would say that I got that from permaculture as far as putting a name to it. Mm-hmm. It's something that that in the design world and, and taking into account all the design principles, it's something that I feel like. I've experienced many times over my career and my life but I, I just didn't have a name for it and so I think that that permaculture gave it a clarity that it didn't yeah. have before because it really started to narrow down exactly what those different parts and pieces are and how they work together so so
0: tell me what is a guild
2: okay so well that I mean I kind of just said it <laughs> a <laughs> guild is a grouping of plants that works together that specifically is planted to work together
0: and what does one look like so give me an example of what one of the guilds in your yards looks like
2: well the most filled out guild that i have i believe the that the main tree is a flavor grenade pluot right mm-hmm. nice. and I, and i have pictures of all these these things on my social media which is all under cultivated LLC if you need to find me. So the flavor grenade pluot and then my other lower tree layers I have a tropic white guava. Mm-hmm. I have a bay leaf tree oh, which nice. the bay leaf I keep pruned down to be a shrub. I mean obviously uh-huh. they can get huge and in different parts of the country they get a lot bigger than they do in Phoenix right? So
1: <laughs> that a
2: little bit of that is knowing uh, where you're at. And, uh, and, and you know, just like a mango tree won't get huge here, a mango tree will get huge in Hawaii, right? So my flavor grenade pluat is probably 14 feet tall, no matter how much I prune it. And I prune it like crazy, right? I just keep chopping it. It just keeps going. It wants to be big. And I love the fruits. So I let it get a little taller than backyard orchard culture usually says.
0: So that's okay. The backyard orchard culture, keeping our tree small is a guideline. It's yes. not a rule.
2: Oh, phew. Right? Well, I do keep that guideline, keep to that guideline in other parts of my yard, just because with 120 trees, goodness knows I don't need to be dragging a ladder around to do my harvesting. So like I mentioned earlier, fava beans underneath, those are nitrogen fixers. Every part of the plant is edible, just a great, great plant. And then I don't stake them. So sometimes they kind of end up being ground cover. Nice. It's just me. I'm going, you know. That's all right. I, I only have so much time, right? And then I have my fern leaf lavender, which is not a culinary lavender, but I love it for cut flowers and the smell is just so great. And it handles our heat because it's an Egyptian lavender. So I have some of that. And then a couple roses for rose mm-hmm. hips. And oh.
0: then I I've always wondered about this. What do you do with a rose hip?
2: Yes. Well, there's lots of different things that you can do. Uh, you can just save them for seeds, which is like, you know, it's okay. I don't know too many people that grow roses from seeds, but that's, mm-hmm. that's how that's done. You can make tea, you can make, oh goodness, I think tea is my favorite just because I love tea. So oh, very good. <laughs> maybe I'm on a tea kick, but oh my goodness, there are so many things that you can do. And that's one of the things that I also challenge people. I had a client one time that was literally throwing their grapefruits away because they didn't like Eating fresh grapefruit. And I said, But do you like sorbet? And they said, Yeah. And so I took their grapefruits, I made grapefruit sorbet and I gave it back to them.
0: Oh, nice.
2: And then they stopped throwing away their grapefruits. And so I, I highly encourage. And I'm just a bookworm. I love, love, love to read. And I love that it's impossible to know everything about all of this. It's such a topic, right? And so it's a, I think it's a lifelong learning process. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that's so exciting is, is that it's not going to end. It's just this beautiful journey of learning and discovery and yeah. amazingness. And so I still, it never after, gets old.
0: After 32 years at the urban farm, with the systems that I've been putting in place, I still get to see things that are like, wow, that's cool. Like the other day, yeah. I was mowing the grass and there was cilantro coming up in the middle of the lawn. <laughs>
2: Now, did you see it first or did you smell it first?
0: Oh, good question. No, I actually saw it first, but uh, then then when the mower hit it, I smelled
2: it. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it so much. I just think that it's, I don't know, it's the best. I'm biased though, but <laughs> yeah. but that's why I want to help people do it right, you know, and, and save the heartache because Lord knows I have tested and trialed and had a bunch of heartache over many, many years. over. Yeah trying things and learning the hard way. Mm -hmm. And that's me with the design background, you know? And so if I can help anybody not repeat one of my mistakes, that's a win. And, you know,
0: Well, that's, that's the learning part of the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still make mistakes. I planted a peach tree in my front yard a couple of years ago and it didn't make it. Oops. (laughs) I mean, we sell 4,000 fruit trees a year. We educate thousands of people every year. I've planted probably in the past 45 years, thousands of fruit trees in Phoenix and it still happens. So yeah. that's, You have to be patient with yourself, right?
2: Yes. Give yourself some grace. Yes. Sometimes yeah. not everyone will make it, but you'll learn something every time.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What are we missing before we jump into q and
2: I guess the only other thing that I have on, on the list there is just When I'm helping somebody design their layouts, I always make sure to ask them what they like to do in their yard. So integrating outdoor living is huge because not everybody's going to have just plants. You need at least a place to sit and look at all your awesome plants, right? (laughs) Sit and and enjoy what you've built, you know, and be able to get through there. I always say paths need to be wide enough for a wheelbarrow, right?
0: Oh, that's huge, 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 huge. (laughs)
2: make sure that the paths are wide enough for a wheelbarrow absolutely and you have to have a place for your your ugly stuff too you have to have a spot for all your empty pots that you're not going to get rid of and your piles of compost and your stuff that is not exactly presentable but is so vital to the function you know where are you gonna store i i actually go and clean out alpaca pens And bag the manure and bring it home to my place. And so I have to have a place to store bags of alpaca poo. (laughs) So all of those things need a space, right? All of those things need to be accounted for in all of the list of what you're going to include in that design. So that as you begin laying it out, you've got all the parts to your puzzle. Awesome. And then fill in all the rest with plants. (laughs) And what's that? And then fill in all the rest with plants. There you go. So
0: I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Oh. Yeah. Um, Well, you've listened to my podcast. You know, I do this to people. It's mostly around success stories. Mm -hmm. So is there a a client that you've worked with that just, it was magic. And when you got done with them or while you were working with them, it's like, yes, that's exactly Mm -hmm. the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing. That it, You know, it just totally lights you up.
2: Well, I don't think I could just pick one because it happens so much. I just feel like when people find me, like, I, I'm not the best at marketing. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. just going to say that. I'm not the best at having the web presence or being out. I'm actually an introvert.
0: You know what? The, the, here's I'm a not. funny as story. As much as
2: I talk about plants.
0: So am I. So am I an introvert. Don't put
2: me in a crowded room. I right? will hide in the corner and I won't Be say up. words. Me too, (laughs) but I've been so lucky. And I think that that was one of the big reasons that I felt that pull to do this for a living is because every personal experience that I made, I would, I mean, you know, maybe 10% of people didn't get it or thought it was too expensive or whatever, you know, and 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 it just stalled before it even began. Mm -hmm. But once I got to know people, I have made so many friends, Mm
0: -hmm. like,
2: just I can't wait to hug people again, like that level of friend.
0: Oh yes, I it's you. not
2: just a client relationship. I have people that I designed their yard four years ago, five years ago, and they send me picture updates and like I'm just like so my heart just gets like swollen out of my chest. I'm just so, so fulfilled by helping these people on their journey, even if it's just something small, it doesn't have to be a full-on food forest, you know. Uh-huh. Just just making that connection and helping somebody have the confidence to try. And then they see that success. And then sometimes they go bonkers, which I also love. Right. <laughs> but just watching everybody find their own path, it's just, uh, it's the best feeling ever. Yeah.
0: So, and the, the I have a very particular reason that I asked this question. And that's because that feeling that you just expressed, we could feel it here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's my goal that everybody that listens to our podcast, that is in our courses, they get to get a sense of that so that they know that they too can go out and get there. Yes. Yeah. You deserve yes. it. You absolutely deserve it. I
2: feel it.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got it. Laney is in the pod in the uh, chat room and she said, "No, nope, sorry, not Laney. Julie B. She said, my bags of rabbit poo are very popular. We call it turds unlimited. <laughs> right? Nice. You know what? I, I, I here's a question I was going to ask you you have workers in your yard.
2: So I have tried. I have, I have.
0: Well, okay, let me let me let me pitch it to you differently. You have four legged and oh. <laughs> two legged workers in your yard. <laughs> yes.
2: Right? Yes.
0: And what you know, like you have ducks. I have yeah. chickens. Chickens are an important part of your landscape. Ducks are an important part of your landscape. Why?
2: Uh, Well, the ducks provide manure, which is great. Mm -hmm. And I mean, who can resist those little butt wiggles, right? They just (laughs) wiggle their little tail and they're just so happy to see you. I get eggs. And then I also have a chef friend or two that help me out. Not everybody also does meat. But for those that do, I think it's part of being a responsible breeder. I have yep. four mama ducks sitting on nests right now, and you've got to have a plan for those extras. But if you're raising your own meat, that's better than anything you're going to get in the store. And you know that those Amen. ducks were loved yep, and so. and had great lives, you know? And so I'm a big fan of that because every, every part of that animal then is stays on site for me. Yeah. You know, I mean I compost the feathers, which takes a while. <laughs> but
0: but they they actually sell a fertilizer called feather meal.
2: That's right. I'm building my soil, right? Exactly. And not having yeah. to go to the store and buy something to do that. So, so I yeah, noticed... I think that it all it all is part of that ecosystem in my own little yard that I'm building. And
0: yeah. So and I noticed it... that people are throwing questions in the chat box. Please put the questions in the QA because that's where we're going next. We're going to jump in and see what questions people have for you. Did you want me to just go ahead and pitch them to her, Janice, or did you want to?
1: Hey, I have so enjoyed this. I have been taking notes like mad, and I am amazed that you find time to go do the alpaca plan cleaning. That's just my <laughs> like a little mind blown here. I would like you to go ahead and start taking some of the questions. I, I think Sandra Smith has a fun one. What do you mean by a spigot? Say more about that, please. I think uh, that is a spelling connection that we can uh, use, so that people can understand what it is, because there was a enunciation or maybe a regional chant, uh, dialect on that one.
2: Yes, I believe she's asking about the the hose bibs. The,
0: yes. The spigot. Oh, spigot! Oh, got it. I heard thicket. Uh, a <laughs> spigot is a hose bib. It's uh, you know, it's where you hook your hose up and turn on the water to get it in your yard. Great question. Thanks for clarifying that.
1: Um, Kristen, do you prefer a brand new site or new build or a site that has some trees or plants, you know, maybe an older site?
2: Well, I always tell my clients I have seen it all. And when I say all, I mean all. I have gone to a yard where it was bare dirt. The whole thing was bare dirt. I have gone to a yard where they didn't have anything planted, but there were 80 different pots Like they just bought all of these plants and then said, I didn't plant them until you were going to tell me where to plant them.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: I have been to places that have been gardening for 20 years and that they want to overhaul. They want to rethink it. They want to redo it. I've done commercial jobs. I've done residential jobs, big, small, you name it. I, I have seen it all. So I don't really know that I have a preference because one of the fun things is every single site is different.
0: Yeah. Nice. Lorraine wants to know about coffee grounds. Is there using too much or too little? Do you have any thoughts on coffee grounds?
2: Well, I hate to say it depends again, but it kind of depends. right? It
0: dep- that, that's, a, that's a really good answer. A lot.
2: You've got to know about your soil's pH and you've got to know what the plants want. Right. So a lot of this that's is right. about knowing what is, is that plant going to like what that coffee grounds are doing to the soil or is it going to burn? You know, and so mm-hmm. it, there is absolutely a such thing as too much of anything, right? That's just a life generality, everything in moderation, right? But it's a really fun topic to learn about if you have not explored soil pH. It has a lot to do with whether or not those plants are going to be able to get the available nutrients mm-hmm. in the soil. So we can have a whole nother garden chat about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's see dina says rose hips what rose bush is best to grow for rose hips i'm in chandler oh that's a great question
2: that is a and great on question that
1: question mm-hmm. yvette is asking what part of the rose bush has rose hips so we can do both oh. oh we can do both okay
2: rose hips are exciting so most of the hybrid teas and floribundas and stuff are not going to make hips So you're looking for the heritage roses. Those are going to be the ones that are going to make hips. And so Mm -hmm. it's an easy thing to Google. If you see a rose that you like, you know, you can look it up and see if that one, what type of rose that is and see if you're going to get some rose hips or not. And really what that is, is after the flower blooms and fades, it creates a fruit. And oh. just like many other fruit trees it is flower first right and then fruit and that is the, the hip and so if you're growing your roses specifically for hips you don't want a deadhead all right don't you better say what that up. is So deadheading is is cutting off the spent blooms. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me honest there. I just talk about these things, you know, all day long. (laughs) So I forget to explain myself. So yes, deadheading is if you're growing the roses for roses, then you'd want to remove the spent blooms so that the plant isn't using that energy to try and keep that fading bloom alive. You would go ahead and relieve the plant of that duty. I like to compost them in place and build that soil, feed it right back to the plant. And then, or depending on what time you're deadheading, if the, if the bloom isn't that far gone, you could go ahead and make rose water with the petals. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. Oh goodness. There's a whole nother garden chat, Greg.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Kristen, I'm going to have to tag you. Maybe we can get a blog post on you for some ideas on rose hips. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So
2: yes, but just look up. It's most of those heritage roses make the hips.
0: Lorraine wants to know where do you go in Arizona to test your soil. I have an answer for that. What do you? What's your answer, Kristen? Uh, I, IAS Labs. Is
2: that the same answer?
0: IAS Labs. Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's Google IAS place. Labs. Mm-hmm. How much space of one's yard should be annuals versus perennials? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. That's from Sharon.
2: Well, I. I mentioned I lean towards mostly perennials because I'm aiming for more of a landscape feel. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have a bunch of bare spots in my yard when I harvest. So I do have some veggie beds where I keep my annuals, but for the rest of my landscape, we are talking perennials and fruit Mm -hmm. trees. And it's been, it's been really funny. I haven't done very many yard tours, you know, with all that's going on in the world, but I did have a friend, who had not seen my yard come over for a little tour, and we were trading some plant cuttings and such. And at the end of the tour, she stopped to me and she said, Where are your veggies? <laughs> so she had just looked at my whole yard and said, Where are your veggies? Yeah. And so I had to explain, you know, I don't do a lot of annual veggies. I do them here and there, but they're tucked in so that when I harvest them, the landscape mostly looks the same now. I will say though, that there are lovely perennials that like artichokes I have oh, yes. on gangbusters with artichokes because yeah. my husband loves them. And that's the other thing is I feel like part of my job is also a little bit of a mediator because there's usually somebody on property who is really into plants and somebody who's not. <laughs> And trying to find a balance of how to make the yard work with both. And so once I found a couple of plants that my husband loved, I planted them all over the place. <laughs> all right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. We have about another seven or eight minutes and we have nine questions let's see how how far we can get through them
1: well, i'm going to um, tie in two i've got susan and laney both having to do with climate change uh, laney has a four-year-old peach tree that has no blooms at all and wants to know some, if you have any ideas on it and susan lost 20 citrus trees after a texas february freeze how are you dealing with climate change? I think both of these are climate change questions. Oh, oh! You look like you're cheering up for the fruit trees.
2: Try not to get emotional here. I so I'm from South Texas originally, uh, New Braunfels, between San Antonio and Austin, and uh, you know my family's still there, and we're all plant lovers, and and I've got so many friends there, and we're all just just grieving over all of the amazing mature subtropical plants like loquats Mm -hmm. for existence like there were so many big beautiful mature loquats in that area and now they're all dead because of that storm that's it was truly a once in a lifetime storm and and I've and I've gone to client sites that are dealing with things like flathead borer worm infestations and they're losing a lot of trees sometimes and I just like cry with them because that is a plant that you've nurtured and taken care of. And, and so it is really, really hard, but I always try to think of it as an opportunity to plant something new, you know? Yeah. Like we talked about briefly earlier, this is a journey. And, and so replant your favorites, you know, mourn, mourn the losses and, and try try to not give up. Mother nature is quite resilient. and
0: you teach us a
2: lot of things so about the peach tree pruning it depends on what time of year you pruned it and it depends on a lot of the weather too i mean we had a we've had a not as much of a doozy as as texas but it's been an odd weather year we just had the worst summer ever we've had two years with no monsoon rain here and so a lot of the plants are, are struggling. So, you know, it's possible. And there are some varieties that tend to alternate bear, not so much with peaches. But I know that, for instance, like a Katie apricot usually takes year five off. Fun little fact.
0: Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. These are bit. the kind
2: of random things that are in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so it may not be anything to do with the pruning. It might be weather, it might be Uh, the tree needed a break. It might be a lot of things. I have a huge reduction this year in blooms on my apple trees.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah. And those are all low chill apples. So it's not to do with, with chill. And just as soon as we think we've got it all figured out, mother nature teaches us. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, (laughs) there's one, there's one other thing is, uh, you know, are you sure it's a a peach tree that is right for your area?
2: That's true. Um,
0: you know, cause if you put in a high chill peach tree here in Phoenix, yes, uh, you know, it's not going to make fruit and it likely won't make flowers either. So
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's all about knowing. Well, and now, and I'll put that right back on you, Greg, explain chill hours <laughs> uh,
0: to, for, for the low desert. Well, I guess for any fruit tree, most any deciduous fruit tree, they require a certain amount of cold in order to set fruit and it's the cold is anywhere between about 39 and 45 degrees and so like my desert gold peach requires 200 hours of chill so we're good with that because uh, we get about 350 hours of chill here in the low desert so you just have to pay attention to is that tree right for your area
1: I'm going to take um, a question here if you don't mind that has a lot more to do with designing your landscape Please. Um, Sandra, was uh, it was spigot, and she just didn't, wasn't familiar with that. And Sandra wasn't trying to shame you on spigot. I was trying to make sure that those who didn't catch the word would catch it. She says, if the landscape is already laid, you have to run more PCP for the sprinklers.
2: Well, I have a drip system, and I am constantly planting things. And so, yes, I'm having to make modifications to my existing drip system to accommodate those new plants all the time. Now, is that always going to be PVC? No. Uh, you know, I mean... Janice and I were talking earlier and she's switching a lot of her stuff to drip tape. And sometimes you're using you know, the quarter inch or half inch tubing instead of the rigid PVC. There's lots of different solutions. And for me, one of the things that I've done in different areas where I've got intense plantings is I actually run my lines under the wood chip mulch and I don't bury them in the soil. So that may be controversial. (laughs)
0: No, no, it's just, it's one way of doing it. You know, it's one way of doing it. I put the drip tape on top, but yeah, especially in the desert, putting it under, under your mulch, it would have a tendency to not break down as fast, maybe. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to reduce the evaporation and protect it and keep it cooler, and it just means a little more work for me because I have to check on it more often, which means scraping back some of that mulch and just making sure everything's okay. But I certainly wouldn't want anybody to not plant more plants because they felt like they were limited by their existing irrigation system. Yeah.
0: All right, we're going to go with three more questions. What ki- Patricia wants to know: what kind of grasses and herbs do well under trees? That will cover the soil without competing with other plants
2: Mm. well there's always going to be competition anytime you have Mm -hmm. two living things that need nutrients to survive right so there's never going to be a situation where there's no competition there can be a situation where what you're planting is nitrogen fixing but that's not going to be grass so if you want turf and you want turf that does well in shade it depends on what part of the country you're in you know, I'm not a grass expert. I do know a little bit here and there, but you'll want something that is, is, oh goodness, what am I trying to say?
0: Well, it's really climate specific. It is. You know, one of the things that does really well here in the low desert, and I give them away every year, is cowpeas. Mm-hmm. Cowpeas is a bean that's a nitrogen fixer, and it makes a lot of beans for next year. They're kind of edible, but not greatly edible. So it's really a a ground shade cover that does really well here, Uh, you know, and that may not do well elsewhere. So you really need to do a little bit of research and see, you know, what kind of ground covers, green mulches, nitrogen fixtures that you can plant in your area and what type of year, time of year. Cause there's, you know, there's cold weather ones and there's warm weather ones, right?
2: Right. And then if you can get something like clover established, you can mow it like a turf, but that's not necessarily going to work in all climates either because you have to get it established first. So, all
0: right, here's a quick one. Uh, I'm going to answer it real quick after you answer it and you get 30 seconds. This is a 30 second round. (laughs) Swati says, continuing on my question, me and my husband have bought a house, big, dry dirt backyard in Phoenix and would like to begin working on it to make our own little farm. What advice do you have to begin with?
2: <laughs> Other than call me?
0: <laughs> yeah, or well, if they're going to do it on their own. So we. Well, we that's talk... what I
2: do. I don't install, I should clarify. I don't yeah. do installs.
0: <laughs> um, get the water in, like we talked about early, yep. earlier. Plant the
2: water before you plant the plants. That's the permaculture saying, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And then what I would do is put 12 to 18 inches of woody mulch over the entire area and let it break down for two years and uh, strategically plant some cowpeas throughout the area so that you know this coming up summer you have you know some cowpeas that are spreading vigorously across the backyard that's what I would do.
1: I I concur I had that big dry backyard planted the wood chips and that really cut down on the dust the dirt and gave me a starting point with some better soil so before I started planting the trees. Definitely concur.
2: Yes. As those break down, those are going to turn into good, good stuff for you. But you will have to water them every once in a while if you want them to break down in a timely manner. Otherwise, they're just going to petrify in your yard.
0: Well, and that's mm-hmm. why I say 12 to 18 inches, because 12 to 18 inches is enough thickness in order to hold on to the rain. I was, I was at Jake Mace's house about four years ago, and he had three feet of woody mulch in his backyard. And in Tempe, in, in the low desert here. And it it was February. It hadn't rained since October. And I said, Dude, are you watering this? And he said, No. And I dug down 12 inches and it was damp still. Yeah. So it, I want to, I, I got to ask this question Is there a problem using hardscape materials, rock for raised beds? I want my small backyard to be beautiful and have lots of smooth hardscape with open spaces for planting shrubs and raised beds. It
2: depends. (laughs) It depends. Yes. He didn't uh, say what part of the country.
0: In in Arizona, that could be pretty fatal. Yes. Because, you know, that stuff's going to hold on to the heat. But in Minnesota, it might be perfect because you might want it to hold on to that heat. Exactly.
2: Got to know your microclimates. You don't want to add heat sinks near plant roots. And so, yeah.
1: yeah. He is in Minnesota.
0: In Minnesota. All right. Well,
2: that could work Well, there you go.
1: Or, yeah. No, I'm sorry. He's in no. Somebody else is in Minnesota. He's in Washington. Ah, well, there, so there very you go that too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's uh, a good question. Yeah. Go. ahead. One last then, good question. Yeah. How do you plant balance integrating native plants with other plant varieties that you love?
2: I have different zones in my yard for different guilds. Let's go back to guilds. Okay. So you know, I have a I have a pool, and so around my pool, I've got my Subtropicals, right? And then I have other parts of my yard that are a little more remote. So in permaculture, there are zones, right? And so zone zero is your house, and then zones one through five go farther and farther away from your house. Those native plants are going to be so much more adapted to those zones where you don't frequent. They're going to do great with less input. And so I have a lot of, of those native and pollinator support uh, kind of on the outskirts of my lot. And so that way they're pretty self-sufficient. They're tough. They can handle things. And then I still get to enjoy them. They still bring the pollinators. They still create all the lovely habitats for all of the critters. And so those, those just planting those in those zones, unless it's a plant you're really particular about wanting to see out a certain window all the time, you know, you yeah. just plant them. Awesome. Plant them in That's zones. Four. I awesome.
0: Any last thoughts, Kristen, before we... uh...
2: Oh, my goodness. This has been so fun. You said it was going to be fun in the beginning. Oh, yeah. And and you were right.
0: We always just have fun. So how do people get a hold of you if they want to consult or want to find more about what you teach?
2: Bear with me on my website because it's brand new. Um, But at the bottom, there is a little thing where you can just put in your name and your email and type me a message and hit send, and it will email me.
0: Oh, very good. And your website again is?
2: cultivatedllc.com.
0: Perfect. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Janice. Janice uh, put it in the chat box. Awesome.
1: Well, that's only going to work for people who are live, but if you are not live, you're listening to this later. Um, cultivatedllc.com is where you're going to find Kristen. Excellent.
0: And we had over hundred people tonight for our first garden chat. That is awesome. So exciting. Everybody
1: needs to tell their friends, share this website, Chats.org. Not
0: not plural. Garden chat, singular.
1: Gardenchat.org. Now, when you go there, you sign up for one. You're going to get the same link. It's going to work every month right now. Um, Same link, same password. Come join us every month. Excellent.
0: Well, thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Janice. Thank you all for joining us. It has been a blast. And we will catch you next month on the flip side.